Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. What would it look like if we all listened more? It would be less horrible. Listening to audiobooks inspires us, motivates us, even brings us closer. And there's no better place to listen than Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. There's no better place to listen than Audible because now Audible members get even more. Exclusive audio fitness programs, which I need. <gasps> audiobooks. Audible Originals and more. That's so fancy. Exclusive audio fitness programs. Yeah, I want to know what that's about. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I need someone to tell me to do five burpees. Fiber? Five five burpees. Oh, five burpees. burpees. I thought I heard fiber and I was like, fiber might be good for health too. I've heard I've heard it's good. <laughs> no, I was talking about burpees. Oh, burpees are hell. Yeah. It's either my accent or I'm not close enough to this mic. <laughs> Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom <gasps> with content made for members. Now it says here, host, pick a book to discuss that resonates with your audience. Hey, Julissa, do you have a book <laughs> that might have recently come out that might be of interest to our audience? Grace, I thought you'd never <laughs> <laughs> Um, so someone like me, my newest book, it's not on Audible yet because I haven't recorded it, but oh. my underground American dream, my first book, it's on Audible and uh -huh. I recorded it myself. That's so cool. And I put so much effort into it. Yeah. And I think it's actually really cool when authors read their own books because they kind of know like, you know, where you're supposed to add a little emphasis or like, you know, yeah. kind of what you were feeling when this happened or that happened. Mm -hmm. And... So I read my own Audible book. I love that. It's That's so cool. in Audible. So if you go to Audible right now and you look for my underground American dream. Julissa Arce. By Julissa Arce. You'll find it there and you can listen to it. Because, you know, if you love the sound of my voice on Crooked Conversations. And who doesn't? Than going to Audible and listening to my book. I love it. It was great. Every month, Audible members get one credit good for any audiobook they choose. Like my underground American dream. By Julissa Arce. <laughs> Plus, two Audible originals from a changing selection that they can't get anywhere else. They also get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime. And if you want to cancel your membership because you didn't like your audiobook, exchange it. No questions asked. There's never been a better time to experience Audible. Try it free for 30 days by visiting audible.com slash crooked convos or by texting crooked convos to 500-500. That's really cool, actually. I had not. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you could text. I'm going to text it you up and just see what happens. No, you need to text crooked convos oh, to 500-500. That, that would be a very clever promo code, though, to text you up. But in this case, you're, go <laughs> you're going to text Crooked Convos to 500-500. Okay, you can do that too. Crooked 
It's the final episode in this special Crooked Conversation series, Defining Us, and we're focused on the next chapter of Latino identity, the future. We spent our first episode talking about the history of Latinos in the U.S. In the second episode, we explored the civil rights contributions of the Latinx community and the inequalities we are still fighting today. And in the third episode, we discussed the lack of representation of Latinos in entertainment. This is Grace Parra. And this is Julissa Arce. In this final episode, we're going to talk about the Latinx political, economic, and educational power. There are 54 million Latinos in the U.S. We are 16.75% of the population and growing, but why it matters is what we're interested in. In each episode, we've talked about the importance of voting. Have you gone to votesaveamerica.com yet? No? Okay, we'll go there I now. I have. Great. I have done it. Do it some more. But in this episode, we explore the political power of Latinos through a more critical lens. Why are only half of us voting? Why do we have Latinos for Trump? And what about the double-edged sword we call Hispandering? All this plus an interview with Ana Valdez, the executive director of the Latino Donor Collaborative, a nationwide initiative dedicated to building the Latino brand and advancing more accurate portrayal of Latinos through research, through press, and through national gatherings of Latinx leaders. And then I'll be joined by Diane Guerrero, who you know as Marita Ramos in her breakout role in the award-winning Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated Netflix series, Orange is the New Black. You also know her from her two books, In the Country We Love and My Family Divided. She's also a board member of the organization Mi Familia Vota, a nonpartisan Latino civic engagement organization to promote immigration reform and voter registration. I am super excited to talk to Diane, who is a, a great friend and a great advocate for the community. So I'm super excited to bring you this conversation with her. Julissa, what an awesome month it has been. It really has. I'm so glad that we have been doing this uh, special series for Cricket because otherwise I would have been so depressed during this Hispanic Heritage Month because it just felt, it has felt so weird, it, hasn't it? It is it is so strange for a number of reasons. So first of all, obviously to our listeners, we, we conceived of this idea because we wanted to celebrate Latino identity during National Hispanic Heritage Month very specifically. And if you've been listening to our episodes, you know that we've been talking about a whole range of issues regarding Latino identity. But, um, you know, this is tied into this, this month, uh, September 15th through October 15th, um, that's dedicated to celebrate celebrating Hispanic heritage. And yet, I mean, I don't think there's been a single day where I've been focused on anything other than all the chaos in Washington. And uh, it's it just like there's been no room left to celebrate being Hispanic. This whole month just feels so like oddly, oddly devoid of the kind of celebration that I think we were all hoping for. Yeah, last week I was wondering whether the White House had even hosted mm-hmm. a Hispanic Heritage Month did, celebration. Did they? So I, I tweeted it out and somebody responded back that they had had something um, like on the 15th or something, but it wasn't even attended by Trump. Oh my God. Um, well, I that's not a Because, you know, why would he attend? Like, clearly we're not that important to yeah. him. <laughs> um, but I am really glad that before Obama left, I was, I, I went to the White House for the Hispanic Heritage Month celebration the last year that Obama was in office. That is, that sounds like such a banger. It was awesome. Yeah. I was dancing salsa oh my God. in the White House. Oh my God. Like listening to President Obama speak about Latinos and how important we are. And it was, it was, it was so starkly different than what's happening right now. That would never happen now. 
No. Salsa is like, it's been eviscerated. Like the dance and then also the food itself. I can't imagine. Donald Trump has never eaten salsa in his life. Maybe he had paste picante sauce once accidentally. Well, he had that bowl, that taco. Oh, yeah, there's no salsa in Salad taco bowl salad. thing. There's no way. Anyway, but to, you you bring up, first of all, that's that's amazing. It sounds like a night to remember for sure. Second, to those um, of our listeners who don't know about this this week that uh, kind of kicks off National uh, Hispanic Heritage Month every month in D.C., there's a number of events surrounding Hispanic heritage that D.C. is very, very known for. A lot of parties and the White House goes comes out and celebrates. And, and so the experience that you had, Julissa, dancing salsa in the White House is so awesome. And there's precedent for that. That's just like completely completely stopped since Trump took office. Yeah. And a lot of it is well, I just like, know. First of all, I don't know what like self-respecting Latino would attend the White House celebration. Exactly. Exactly. Because what is there to celebrate now? What is there? I mean, he, well, well, let's No, there's a lot to celebrate. There is a lot to celebrate. Yeah. Let but me let me take a step back. Not on that. from the White House White House perspective. I exactly. mean, they've been doing everything to attack our community. Right. I think it's worth mentioning not to like you know, bring us down immediately one minute into today's show. Oh, no, this is going to fire me up more. I know it. But I know it. It's really worth mentioning that we cannot forget what's happening at the border with the migrant kids. In Tornillo, Texas, in spite especially right of, now. of, you know, every all the other chaos and all the other fires that we're having to put out. Mm-hmm. But there are still 13,000 migrant children in detention who have recently been moved to, uh, to Texas mm-hmm. to... Um, just like camps that are being set there, like tent cities mm-hmm. where children are going to live. They, they're not going to get any schooling. No, they're being given workbooks that they don't have to complete. They don't have to complete. They don't have any like instruction, like no, no teachers uh, teaching them anything. And, and, and so, and so, yeah, you're right. It's, it's been a strange month yeah. uh, because we've had all of these um, injustices happening to our community mm-hmm. during a month when we're supposed to be celebrating our accomplishments and celebrating our contributions to this country. So I am, for one, very thankful that we've had the opportunity to discuss some of those things mm-hmm. through this special series. Me too. Me too. And and I will say that part of why we're doing this is to call attention to those uh, inequities happening around us to this day. And so even though this month kind of is dedicated to the celebration of all the positive things, it is important for us to to talk about the, the broad away, the array of issues that are that are um, that, that we as Latinos address on a regular basis. So that said, our topic today is going to be about the future of Latino identity, the future of our community. And, uh, you know, there's a number of things that we are really excited about. And, and the more that we give ourselves a platform to talk about these things, the more that I think we call attention to both the good side of events happening and the bad side of events, too. So I think it's great that you mentioned what's yeah, happening. Yeah, like some of the challenges that we have Absolutely. in our future. Absolutely. Right? But so... Um, so one of the, one of the things last week that um, that I was on Twitter about a lot was this question around like why are Latinos not voting? Mm-hmm. And you know we just talked about what's happening with the migrant children at the border, and we of course know how Donald Trump started his candidacy, calling mm-hmm. Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals. Yeah. And we've seen you know DACA and sort of just like attack after attack after attack in our community, and people are wondering. What's it going to take for Latinos to vote? Yeah. Like, what's it going to take for people for us to get excited about voting or get angry about voting? But mm-hmm. like, what's it going to take for us to show up to vote? Right. So I kind of want to 
talk about that. Like, I want to talk about yeah. why are only half of us voting? Like, 50% of Latinos turn out to vote. Like, why is that? Well, so, okay, there's a, there's a, a number of reasons why. I am very... Uh, <laughs> tickled by this word hispandering that I'm sure you guys have heard. Hispandering, it's a portmanteau of Hispanic and pandering. Um, and it's a, it's a technique that politicians use to try to appeal specifically to the Latino demographic, even if it feels real hack and real cheesy. And so, yeah, yeah. But, yeah but I get it. I mean, that there are times when that happens or like, for example, when candidates try to speak Spanish yeah. and they are just like literally having like the three words that they know in Spanish and they repeat them over and over again Ted and they don't even work lot. they don't even work on like saying it correctly or yeah. pronouncing it correctly um, that kind of stuff really does bother me. Yeah, and that's that's I think a, a tough one in particular because I do generally appreciate when people take take the time to try to speak in Spanish knowing that they have a bilingual uh, audience. audience. Um, but it's tough because it's like, man, if, if it comes if it comes across as forced, it, it somehow does even more damage than I think it does good. Yeah, like you don't need to speak to me in Spanish, you know? Yeah, like, I mean... I speak English too, so... Exactly. Just, let's just have a conversation in English. But I do think that... And, and this is why it's such a double, double-edged sword, right? Because I do think that that we do need to make uh, an effort to reach out to the Latino community to have materials in Spanish because... Oh, that's huge. I mean, that, that's that been a problem that I'm very curious about with 2018 uh, with the midterms, if bilingual pamphlets are going out and if, they're, they're, um, if they have the, the proper information because I think, I, you know, I remember very distinctly in 2016 there being a number of instances of... And campaigns, please spend money hiring a professional translator yeah. because I can't tell yeah. you how many times I get pamphlets in Spanish that mm-hmm. are just wrong. Like just the like words Google that they're Translate. Using, right, exactly. It's like Google Translate, so there's like no context to them. Yeah. Like they use a word that, yeah, it means what you want it to mean, but not in that context. Yeah. Because Spanish also, you know, we have one word for like 10 different things, mm-hmm. right? Or we have like 10 words for like the same item, but it depends on what context you're using it. Exactly. So like spend money on hiring professional translators <laughs> that can help you send the right message and send the message that you're actually trying to send to the Latino community. I agree. And all these things will help get us out. All these things will help Latinos uh, come to vote and and pre-register to vote and register to vote. All that can be addressed with, I think, some pretty actionable things. Yeah. So so there is this there is this fear that Democrats are not getting Latinos out to vote, that Latinos are not um, very excited about some of these these races where you think that we should be. Like, for example, in Texas, 23rd District, mm-hmm. where, where um, Will Hurd is, is running uh, against a Latina Democrat candidate. Mm-hmm. And it's not as close of a race as people thought that it should be. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think the important thing to remind people is and they, they uh, John and, and Dan talked about it on the on the pod a couple of weeks ago that, um, you know, Will Hurd is a very sensible, reasonable Republican. And I agree, like I've met with him on immigration issues. We've had him as a guest on Crooked Conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think he's he's reasonable. Mm-hmm. But then again, he votes with Trump 95 percent of the time. Right. So it's like, I don't care how reasonable you are. And I think those are the types of things that we need to remind people in the districts is right. like, these are the, the things that you care about. Uh, as, and as Latinos, these are like specific issues that will impact you and your community and your family get out to vote. 
Um, but I do think it's important that we don't talk in just like this general terms of like less pushback against Trump and like vote Democrat and Latinos, you should vote Democrat because uh, of all the bad things Trump has done right. around immigration. Because I, I think that if we just stick to like buzzwords, that doesn't deliver like a clear message as to why we should vote for Democrats specifically. So I do yep. think it's important for the Democrat message to be not only we don't agree with Trump and his anti-immigrant agenda, mm -hmm. but also these are the specific things that we are going to do when we hold the majority power yep. in Congress, and right? These like, are the specific things that we stand for as a party, right? Which I think is very unclear. And I'll shout out um, John Favreau and, and the Wilderness podcast here on Crooked, which I think is, is doing a fantastic job of parsing the intricacies of the Democratic Party right now, specifically the problems with our messaging and the problems with uh, lack of clarity, which I think is pretty. Pretty, there's a pretty obvious lack of clarity. Um, when we don't know what we stand for, what can we, what will these talking points continue to be besides just playing defense? You know, we got to start playing offense at some right. point. Right. So, like on on immigration specifically, mm -hmm. you know, I would love to see more candidates talk about uh, sort of reviving the conversation around the Dream Act, for example, mm -hmm. and saying, you know, this is. The DREAM Act is an issue that we are going to take seriously, that we're going to champion, and we're going to yeah. make sure that in the next Congress, we we bring a DREAM Act bill to a vote, mm -hmm. at the very least, you mm -hmm. know, commit to like, I, we're going to bring it to a vote mm -hmm. versus just, we care about DREAMers, right. right? There needs to be sort of like very clear policy around these are the measures and the things we're going to do to stop children being caged at the border. Mm -hmm. These are some of the measures and things or investigations that we're going to do into ICE uh, practices and, mm -hmm. and how they're treating people and targeting specifically Latinos for deportation. Mm -hmm. So th that's the kind of messaging that I think will allow the Democratic Party to capitalize on the anger and frustrations that Latinos are feeling around immigration. But unless we are, get that specific about it, then I don't think it's resonating. Yeah, unless we demand that kind of specificity, unless we attend these rallies, unless we attend these you know conversations that we can have in in person with uh, with politicians running for office. I mean, this again, I, I will point to Beto O'Rourke as being an, a great example of doing a, an incredible job, uh, kind of going from you know being j just a local politician in El Paso to capturing the hearts of America part of that is because he is first and foremost an incredibly intelligent person yes he's charismatic he's funny he's got this cool background but he's really fucking smart and anytime he is asked a question about specificity he goes there and he's he answers it I don't know if you saw the debate with him and Ted Cruz the first debate mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago but I thought he did a tremendous job of standing up for the kind of step-by-step policies that he plans to enforce if and when he becomes senator. Yeah, and, um, and he's done a really great job of reaching out to the Latino community in yes. Texas, right? Like, now, and and I know people people like dog on him because his name is Beto and he's a white guy <laughs> right. from Texas, but you know, his name is Beto because when he was like 3 years old in kindergarten, he went to school with a bunch yep. of Latinos yep. and so they called him Beto so he's gone by Beto since he was three years old mm -hmm. I don't think that he was like oh when I'm grown up and I'm like running for Congress or for Senate it's gonna help me to have a Latino sounding name no 
I don't think I don't think three year old Beto was too concerned about that. Right. But yeah, so it, it, it's authentic to him and he calls it out. And I mean, unlike a lot of the other politicians that we're seeing, not just politicians, Jesus, many powerful men in general um, being so quick to talk about if they are accused of something within the realm of the Me Too movement, being so quick to just say, like, it didn't happen. I'm a wonderful person and it would never happen. And it never happened. We're seeing Beto respond to the fact that he had a DUI and certain aspects about his past with grace and with honesty, calling it out and saying, yes, it happened and I made a mistake and I've learned from that and here's what I've done in the meantime to try to combat those kinds of uh, tendencies, or not just from me, but tendencies that, that we all have as youth. Um, yeah, so there's there's a level of transparency that I think we have to demand. That's not just a Latino thing, though, but I do think that, I do think we're pretty good at calling bullshit. Yeah, like the two women that stopped Jeff Flake. Latinas. Latinas. Latina immigrants. Latina immigrants. They are heroines for doing yep. that. So that's why what's very exciting to see is that with regard to, to the Representation Matters conversation, we are seeing more women and more Latinas than ever running for office. In fact, so much so. And that that's great because we're the, the most underrepresented group in Congress. Oh, by, by yes, in, in a huge way, in a huge way. Right now, there's only 10 Latinas in Congress. One is in the Senate. Nine are in the House. This is a real fact. <laughs> there are just as many dudes named Steve serving in Congress as there are Latinas. There and one is many of those is fucking Steve King. Yeah, yeah. Kick him out. Yeah. So, and all this, by the way, this statistic is brought to you by the group that has referred to this year as the year of the Latina, and that is Emily's List. And also... The Latino Victory Fund That's has right. called this the year of the Latina. Yes, those two work together, and they are two organizations that we believe in very, very strongly. And they understand that representation matters, but there are very specific reasons why that matters. It's not just, oh, I want to see people that look like me. No, you want to see people who have been through experiences like you, or at least who have potentially experience the same kind of internal conversations that you have coming from a specific demographic. Yeah, and it is it, this this conversation about this being the year of the Latina like that conversation gets me so excited. Yeah. Um, and we have some amazing, amazing candidates, mm -hmm. Latina candidates running at every level of government. So for example, um, there is Lupe Valdez, who's running for governor of Texas. Mm -hmm. And like, how exciting would it be to kick out Greg? No, what's his name? Abbott? At Greg Abbott. In, Greg in, Abbott, in, right? Yes, yes, yes. Man, I hate that guy. Um, I know, and it's, oh God, I just want, I just, oh, it's. And it we sucks. can replace him with... Yeah. Lupe Valdez, a progressive, democratic, Latina mm -hmm. candidate. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that would be incredible. And we Te also have Michelle Lujan uh, Grisham uh, running for governor of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it's not just in Congress and in, um, it's not just in the Senate and in the House, mm -hmm. right? But also like in, in, in gubernatorial races, more local races, more local races mm -hmm. uh, and those are going to be the things to me that really move the needle again, completely. like in our community. Completely, I just, I just um, moderated a panel at an event called Girls Build LA a few days ago for ten thousand. Um, African-American and Latina students, junior high school age and high school age here in Los Angeles from public schools around the city, which was an, an unbelievable, ex unbelievable experience. Um, one of the conversations that I had was with the secretary of state here in California, Alex Padilla, um, who took time out of his schedule to talk to these girls, which I, I thought was really awesome. And one of the things that he said was the fact that 
specifically, those school board elections mean so much. Those yeah. local school board elections. And because, we've been talking about it so much yeah. in this series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. And, and so I just want to emphasize that and having conversations with people who are already elected officials, they want to be working with people who represent their electorate. They want to be working with people who the vast majority of the population in their in their uh, regions like and know about too and I know it's not sexy to go out and read about who's running for school board you know treasurer or whatever but it, those kinds of things really do I don't know if we can run for school board treasurer <laughs> that sounds like something that I probably tried to run for in high school and didn't get voted into <laughs> um, but running running for the school board on, on uh, that's on a, a real thing uh, is a real is very much that a real exists. thing that is a real thing and that is something that um, you, you know Here's the thing. It's never it's never going to be sexy, but when you have younger progressives running for those for those offices, you will by virtue of being a younger person surrounded by younger people get more of an engagement from a demographic that otherwise feels kind of disenfranchised. Yeah. I mean, I think one of one of the things that's really stood out to me as we're having this conversation around the power of the Latino vote, mm-hmm. like the reality is there are 53 million of us Latinos, 54 53 to 55 million of us Latinos in the country. Mm-hmm. We are a really important voting block. 18% of the population. We need to take it upon ourselves to get our community excited about registering to vote and about going out to vote because mm-hmm. these elections matter. And we're seeing the, we're seeing the consequences of not getting out to vote. Mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking about what if Latinos had shown up to vote in the last election uh, presidential election. Oh, yeah. We might not be where we are right now had Latinos gone out to uh, gone out and 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 voted. Yep. Right. And and not at fifty three percent, but like let's get a hundred. Let's shoot to have a hundred percent of Latinos voting in the next uh, in the next election in November, yeah. even because it's important. Like these elections really matter, mm-hmm. and I think that you know we don't have the, we don't have all the answers. No one does have all the answers for how do we get our community excited to vote. But there are many recommendations of things that specific um, races can do to engage Latino voters. There are a lot of really great organizations like Voto Latino and Mi Familia Vota, which we'll be talking to Diane Guerrero um, later about the work that she's doing with Mi Familia Vota to get Latinos registered to vote and uh, and then to get them actually to the um, to the voting polls yeah. when well, election time comes. I was going to say a point to that too is I, I think ultimately I would like to see us work towards a world where we have a day off to vote because I, I know that a lot of people struggle with balancing the, their work schedule, their kids' schedule and needing to go vote that day. So obviously that's a dream for, for later down the road for this upcoming election. I just want to stress the, the and remind people about mail-in ballots because those do arrive at your door a lot sooner and I know they're quick to you know, be tossed tossed away and like you forget about them. But but just a, a shout out to the mail-in ballot because those things really make a big difference, a big, big difference. And you can't use the excuse of, oh, I had to work that day. Well, you got that like a month ago. So you can fill it out and send it in. And that kind of stuff is going to be sent very soon, actually. I think I already got my pamphlet for my mail-in ballot here in California. So be on the lookout for that starting now if you are listening to this pod. Well, Julissa... There's a battle going on with the future of the internet and your right to privacy. No Damn. one else's, just yours. Damn. 
Big corporations like ISPs and ad networks are getting rich from selling your data. And Congress has completely failed to save net neutrality or to protect your privacy online. This is true, by the way. I'm, I'm haunted as I'm reading this. Um, and now, Internet providers and mobile carriers like Comcast and Verizon are free to restrict websites. They're free to spy on your online activity. And they're free to sell your browsing history to advertisers. My browsing history is very boring. Mine's Oh, really? Mine's vile. Yeah, no, mine's boring. I'm like, yeah, they, you couldn't sell mine for very much. <laughs> you could sell mine for more than I'd care to admit. It's uh, it's atrocious in all the ways. I don't want my internet browser to be tracked and to be sold, and that is why I use ExpressVPN. With one click, ExpressVPN shields my online activity from internet and mobile providers, as well as hackers and spies. Spies. That sounds so... Um, Fancy? Super fancy, like, uh, I'm imagining, like, a scene from Born Identity. Oh, yeah. Those were my favorite movies. They're so good. I have I so... I want them to do more. I also want there to be, like, every time I hear the word spies, I'm thinking of Russian spies, but I think that there's a lot of other, like, a lot of other types of spies out like there. A, <laughs> like a fat guy eating cheeseburgers on his bed. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, by the way, I'm saying that. As a reference to what Trump said about who hacked the 2016 Because it was elections. not Russians. Right. And he specifically said that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's just a direct quote from. That's old. not that's not funny when I have to explain it. And this is why you're the comedian <laughs> and, the, uh, comedian and the upbeat loosely. one and the upbeat one. The upbeat one. That's uh, true. Some people told me. Julissa was told that I was the upbeat one, which makes Julissa. I don't like, know. Like what am I? Chopped liver? I think chopped liver is what you are. Chopped liver is horrible. ExpressVPN has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, my phone, and my tablet. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browser by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. For less than seven bucks a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. That's less than I paid for my uh, smoothie this morning. Same. Exactly same. We are monsters. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and if you want to keep hackers and those spies, those cheeseburger-eating spies, away from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the solution. So to take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free, go to expressvpn.com slash crookedconvos. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash crookedconvos for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash crookedconvos to learn more. Did, do you think people got that address? Did uh, we say it enough times? Expressvpn.com. Just one more for Ex good measure. Expressvpn.com. Dot com. Have you guys heard of the RFK Tapes podcast? Sure have. Yep. 1968 was tumultuous. The Vietnam War was... Is that... That's an understatement. It sure is. It sure is. Vietnam War was escalating. Civil rights demonstrations were being met with violence. Martin Luther King was assassinated, but there was hope. Senator Robert F. Kennedy was running for president on a platform of peace and unity. Then, just after delivering his victory speech in the California Democratic primary, Kennedy was shot down in the pantry of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. That's a spoiler. A lone gunman was captured at the scene, revolver in hand. The LAPD called it an open and shut case, but was it? In the new podcast, the RFK Tapes from the creators of Crime Town, host Zach Stewart-Pontier joins up with researcher Bill Kleber to explore troubling questions about one of the most significant crimes in American history. Was there a second gunman? Who was the woman in the polka dot dress? Why did the police secretly destroy crucial pieces of evidence and then keep their case files sealed for 20 years? Wow. Why? I don't know. 
we got to listen. I don't like this cliffhanger. Check out the RFK tapes. You can binge all 10 episodes right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We are back and we are so thrilled to talk to the executive director of the Latino Donor Collaborative, an organization that works to reframe and advance an accurate perception, portrayal, and understanding of the important contributions Latinos make to American society. She's a principal and co-founder of Valdez Productions and Consulting Inc., as well as an American marketing, media, and political consultant. She has served in various corporate and nonprofit boards, such as CTV Cable Channel, Los Angeles Universal Preschool, and the Trust for Public Land. She currently chairs the Board of Trustees of Southern California Public Radio. So we're going to talk to her about Latino mobility and the power of Latino businesses and business owners. Enjoy. Anna, we're so excited to have you. I've been such a big fan of the Latino Donor Collaborative and the work that you guys do. I use your research on many of the pieces that I write, uh, and even in this podcast conversations that we've had over the last month, I've used a lot of your statistics and your research. So thank you so much for for all the work that you guys do. It's amazing. It's an honor to be here. It is great to hear that you're using our information. That's what we are um, focused on. So please use it as much as you want. Oh, we we will run with that. And for our our audience who uh, is maybe hearing about the Latino Donor Collaborative for the first time, can you explain a little bit about what the group is all about and why a group like this has never existed before? Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I, I love speaking about this. It's my passion. So the LDC, the Latino Donor Collaborative, was put together eight years ago in 2010. And this were a um, group of Latino business leaders, mostly philanthropics, you know, and uh, philanthropic and business leaders. But um, they really were concerned about the narrative of who Latinos are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the SBC 17 Arizona was almost legalizing um, racial profiling, which was completely wrong Mm -hmm. and they wonder why could people get away with this Hmm. so they realized that it was a lot of the narrative it's almost like a rebranding of who we are so they decided to 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 get together to fund this effort and they committed they committed with their money and with their time and the ldc was created and from the beginning we decided that we were going to do two things. One is 50% of everything we do is create the research that shows who really Latinos are in America. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing? What are they contributing? What are they not contributing? So that for us was really important. And another very important thing was that this research had to be from the most reputable sources. So we've partnered and we constantly partner with Stanford, UCLA, Columbia University. So we're really, really excited about that. And then also, not only we partner with universities, but we also partner with private research groups that know how to do this. So that 50% the first 50% that we do is research. The and, other what, and what does that research cover? Great question. So the research is about who Latinos are mostly economically. So how much they are contributing, how much they are uh, producing, how much GDP are they doing, are they, um, you know, creating, um, how much are they using in terms of um, social services, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, super low. But um, and then exactly we were going to talk about it. So entrepreneurship and, um, you know, sales and consumption and everything that has to do with what Latinos do when they are in this country and when they come to this country. And do they help? Mm -hmm. So that was the most important part. 
And then, but you said that 50% of what you do, it's research-based. And so what's the other 50% of what you do? Great question. So the other 50% is communicating this results and this data so that mainstream America knows it. Mm -hmm. And that's why what you're doing here and to hear that you guys have been using our information is really music to my ears. Oh, I love that. Because we pay for this information and then we distribute it completely free. You can go to our website and literally download every piece of information we've ever done plus information that has to do with the same subject done by other people. I mean, I I have um, taken your Latino GDP as like my Latino economics Bible um, and I reference it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, so when, when I looked at this report, there's a few things that stood out to me, right? Like the fact that uh, if Latino, if the Latino GDP in the U.S. were a country, it would be larger than that of India's, right? Yeah. Um, or the fact that the um, Latino GDP is projected to account for 24% of the total U.S. U.S. GDP growth. So when I look at these numbers. Uh, you know, and I look to see that if the Latino GDP were a country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. In the world. In the world. Only That's U.S. and China, yeah. Japan, Germany, the U.K. and France. So all of that gets me really excited. right? Yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, my God, Latinos have such big economic power. It's amazing. But then I have a hard time looking at those numbers and then looking at other statistics that show, you know, Latinas make half of what uh, of what m- of what what men white men make yeah, 54 in the cents to the dollar right. yeah. and we are the the smallest uh, we have the the we are the minority in terms of uh, economic capacity at this point like as far as other other demographics we earn less than any other yeah. demo out right. there right and then we yeah. look like for example like in, t- in 2013 nearly one in four latino families lived below the poverty line nearly twice the national poverty rate um, so how do you how do you look at these two set of numbers, the fact that Latinos do contribute a lot to the economy, and at the same time, we're not creating wealth in our community. We're not, uh, we're not having this upward mobility in terms of the socioeconomic status. So how do you reconcile these two sets of data? So let me correct you, because Latinos are having tremendous economic um, upward mobility. So th- there are several things. So first of all, let me go back to the numbers that you're citing, which is that um, if Latinos were an economy by themselves in the United States, they would be their GDP, which is the production of everything that, you know, that we consume would be larger than India. I just want to point out that because India has 1.2 billion people. Right. We are 57 million so we're producing more than than that country, but we have that economy here just with Latinos. Right. So it's not only the number that is impacting, mm-hmm. but it's also the, the 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 scale of the impact. So going back to your question about why are we don't um, see we're not seeing this voice. So first of all, the Latino impact of Latinos, I mean the uh, economic impact of Latinos is unavoidable. Everybody knows it. It comes from workforce, but it also goes from values, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't mean we have yet achieved a political voice. Yes. Yes. A um, a business uh, macroeconomical voice either. So we have to still we we have a lot to do within our job, the Latino community job of expanding and using that voice. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the upward mobility is bringing us there. Keep this is something I always talk about. So first of all, Mexico is the 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 main provider of Latinos, if you may, in the United States. Seventy five percent of all Latinos in the United States are Mexicans. 
That's it's a really been, high number, by the way. It is extremely I mean, it's high. Really high. It is really high. Mexicans have been coming to... Th- okay, let me, actually, no. Let me take that back. This country has been going to Mexicans since its, in, in, since its inception. So mm. we have... We were in this area, in this land, even before it was the United States. Right. So yeah, we covered that we, in our first episode, yeah, actually. Yeah. So, so, so let me tell you why I'm going there. Because... Most of the Latinos that you see on the census, most of them are immigrants. But there is half of that census part that has been here forever. Mm-hmm. And I go back to, again to the to the um, to the upward mobility because starting so so I'm saying this about being neighbors because there's been waves, huge waves of immigrants all through the last 200 years. Um, first of all, the first one was when the United States became you know when uh, all the the western part of the United States became the United States. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest if you call wave of immigration, but it was actually a takeover in a lot of different ways. But then there's been, you know, the Second World War. And then it started, the, the last one, which started in 1980. Since 1980 till today, there has been a 100% increase in Latinos. So in 1980, Latinos were 9% of the population. Today, they are 18%. This is immigration. Right. This was the latest wave of immigration that was absolutely needed in this country Mm -hmm. because the country was growing so much that there was a need of workforce. And that's why we kept coming. We don't come here if there are no jobs. Latino Mexicans mostly come here with no education, Mexicans and Southern and, and Central Americans. Mm-hmm. The upward mobility from that time when they come here with no English, barely speaking Spanish and absolutely no resources and education to the second generation when their kids are graduating from high school and graduating from college mm-hmm. is huge. So we don't have a voice because we're so young as that la- in that last wave of immigration. We're young. Mm-hmm. You know, dreamers have a much better voice than their parents that are being deported. Correct. We know that mm-hmm. dreamers are actually now activating and they're activating Every philanthropist in the United States, they're activating political leaders. I'm so glad that we were talking about some of this research that you're the 50 percent of time you spend on the research. But you said the other 50 percent is on sort of distributing that research and making sure that people use it. And I know you guys have a pretty exciting partnership with CNBC. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So we have a lot of different partnerships and, and this is great. And. So th- that's what we call one-on-ones, which is we work with different organizations to change the voice, not to change, let me, let me, let me, to help them address the new mainstream economy in a better way. Mm-hmm. Because we're not changing one for the other one. Um, th- the reason why we're having more impact is because the, um, the white um, population is, 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 you know, decreasing. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, and of course, demograph you know demographic uh, experts have the perfect you know definition of why, but that's happening. So we're coming in to actually save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Europe doesn't have the luck to have the kind of immigration that the United States has from Latin America. So we're actually coming to save the day. But to your point, um, so this program. So what we do is we tell them, look, this is the economy, this is your audience, and this is how your audience is turning out to you know to look like. And under your like, the truth is most of them don't even know. Mm-hmm. So we bring this information. They realize they're leaving a lot of money on the table because they're not addressing that population. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about your parents that came here with no education, and now you are a consumer of 
CNBC. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the cohort that they're not getting. So we bring, we have a partnership, we have a lot of like very um, elaborated processes where we choose the people that they want, they, they need on the air with a Latino background. These people don't speak about Latinos. These people are experts in their market. So, for example, the la last week we had a huge um, event. It was fantastic at the headquarters of CNBC hosted by the CEO. And we brought in people like, and I can say it because this was public, we brought in people like Herb Scannell, who was the president of BBC America, the president of Nickelodeon, uh, the president of Me Too, the, the president of, uh, of, of a bunch of incredible groups. He came in to talk about media. He happens to be Latino, but he came in to talk about media. And it's a voice that has Latino impact, that looks Latino, and most importantly, that knows the new market. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the same with five more people that I can tell you names, but you know we probably don't have the time. But these are new faces and voices that will give CNBC a permanence in the business rather than stay old and, um, and not you know, evolve with the market. Yeah. So that's one of the programs. Another program we had the, the week before that, we met with Tony Vincicera, who's the president of Sony Entertainment. Mm -hmm. And he brought casual. His, uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. And he brought his 30. We actually we prepare a lot for these events, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was a session of two hours with his 31 most in the 30. Yeah, 31 most important people in Sony Entertainment. So the CEOs of all the little companies and, and the big studios, et cetera, within Sony Entertainment. And we give them all this information that will help them to understand the community, understand how to program in a way that attracts this community, but not only that attracts this community, but that attracts all the market. Right. So one of the things that we've talked a lot about um, is this like census coming up in 2020 and how important that census is going to be to uh, being fairly represented, right? Because if we can't even get the number of people who are in the country right, then that has a lot of trickle-down implications. Um, and, and adding the 2020 census uh, is looking to add a citizenship question that will deter many Latino families from completing it. And besides the obvious implications of undercounting us, what are some of the dangers of this question on the census? It's extremely dangerous. It's the way of people that don't want to change um, and we need to combat it. The to today, there are six big lawsuits against this possibility. And we're hoping that those lawsuits proceed and that we stop that question. This would mean, and I think I, I, I do have, a, the last number I, I read is that this would mean between two and four points less in percentage about Latinos, you know, um, so instead of being 19%, we would be 15%. And mm. that has to do with the resources that are allocated for our education, for our Medicare, for our um, health care, for all the resources that we as Americans deserve. Mm -hmm. And we're paying taxes. We are, and even undocumented people are paying taxes. Mm -hmm. And these are sources and resources that not only would help the community, but this, you're talking about 20% of the population. And actually today we are 18, officially we're 18% of all the people in America, but we're officially 24% of all millennials. Mm -hmm. And this is officially, Ooh. okay? And um, so, so that means that 24% of this you know, country would be underrepresented and under, um, um, uh, uh, underfunded. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what that 
means for an economy in the two, you know, 2030s, 2040s, that you are actually not educating, not preparing, not taking care of the people that will be paying the social security of our grandparents, my grandparents, my my own, you know, at that time, probably. I'm going to be, I'm going to basically be 80 years old, like next year, the rate I'm going. I'm going (laughs) to need to capitalize on all that. But you see, so it is important that our um, not only Americans, but also people that may not be documented and people that actually may, may have green cards and not have citizenship to go and have a voice. This is talking about you, Julie, you're talking about having a voice. This is the first opportunity in front of us to have a voice. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming today. We are so happy that we got a chance to sit down and talk to you about the Latino Donor Collaborative. And um, this partnership with CNBC sounds so exciting. When we come back, we'll have more of this special Cricket Conversation series defining us. So, Grace, do you like getting a good night's sleep? It's necessary. It really is. I can't function. I'm not one of these like, oh, it's cool. I just like work all day and then I sleep for four hours and like I wake up and I look great and get things done. I can't do that. I need seven to eight hours minimum. Well, I look great even after I sleep for four hours. I don't look great even after 10 hours of sleep. But that's that's just me. That's just you. But I sleep on planes a lot. But when I don't sleep on planes or hotels and I get to sleep in my own bed, Mm -hmm. I love sleeping on a somewhat soft, somewhat hard bed, mm. like in the middle. Yeah, medium firmness. Yeah, medium firmness. Okay, I gotcha. I like, uh, I, I would just sleep like on swans down if I could. I like as soft as possible. I'll take, I'll take firmness in my pillows, but I like straight up feathers for my mattress. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness. Sleep number beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so that it's just right for both of you. Mm. Do you and and, uh, your BF like the same firmness? We do. You know what? We do. We're okay on that. Pillows, it's just, we can always improve though. I'll tell you that. Hmm. I want better everything. And I feel like sleep number might have what I need. I want to get like a queen mattress because I want to sleep closer to Fernando. What do you have now? We have a California King. It's too big. I had I a California so King too. until Niall and I moved in together recently. Now we're straight up queen and it but out. But I can't go, like we can't go back now. Like Fernando <sighs> refuses. But That's I might rough. make them. That's rough. <laughs> the new beds are so smart that it sends your every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Come in during the fall sale and save $100 on the Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed, now only $899. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You know I love me some football. Got to. You only find Sleep Number at one of their 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash podcast to find the one nearest you. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. 
Um, so, Julie, so we've spent this series talking about the power of Latinos as voters, but one of the things that we wanted to get into was talking about Latinos as elected officials. Right. So we have these huge midterm elections coming up. There's a number of Latinos who are running for office. This is the year of the Latina. I hope so. It Latina is. Latina specifically. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. We have some amazing... Latina candidates running for office. We really, really do. And so one of the things we wanted to do here was to pose a question to several of the elected, um, those who, uh, rather who are running for elected uh, official here in, in the U.S., um, some of the Latino candidates that we're most excited about. Uh, and we posed this question. Yeah, so we wanted, we asked them, um, ask a Latino, what does it mean to you that we are nearing majority status but don't yet hold majority power? And how do we overcome that? And so what you're about to hear is the responses from many of the candidates that we reached out to. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Daniel Valenzuela, candidate for mayor of Phoenix. I was raised primarily by a single mom with the help from the church and great organizations. We moved around a lot. I attended 13 public schools. I never dreamed of running for office. I only dreamed of serving. I've done just that for my community as a firefighter. Although I'd be proud to be the first Latino mayor of Phoenix, my goal is to not be the last. There's power in reflection, and I hope to inspire other Latinos to run for office. Hi, my name's Lupe Valdez. I'm the Democratic nominee for governor of Texas. I'm the eighth child of migrant workers and was raised in the poorest neighborhood in San Antonio. But because of a quality public education that opened up doors to me with opportunity, I went on to college, the military, a federal agent, and the sheriff of Dallas County. Toda mi vida, I had to deal with setbacks of many of the same kitchen table issues that still keep everyday Texans up at night. I am running because I believe in giving people a fighting chance. Texans should have no doubt that I will fight for them because I share their uphill battles, going from crop fields to classrooms to candidate. With your support, I can become the first Latina governor of Texas. Latinos make up more than 40% of the population in Texas. We need to have a leader that will represent us. With so many families being separated and bills such as the show me your papers bill enforced on us, our fight is far from over. We have to come out and vote so that our voices can be heard. If you show up to the polls this November, I know we can truly be represented. Muchas gracias. I'm David Garcia. I'm a dad, teacher, and veteran, and I'm running for Arizona governor to build the state that built me. Latinos are a third of the Arizona population, yet we do not see our faces in our leadership. I grew up here, and I had the opportunity to serve my country, and now I have the opportunity to represent all of Arizona, black, white, and brown. But being Latino, I come from a community that's underrepresented. I believe we have the power to overcome that by registering to vote, actively participating, and voting. Our voice matters. We should use it. 
I'm Debbie Mukarsel Powell, and I'm the Democratic candidate in Florida's 26th Congressional District. I'm running for Congress because the opportunities that made my single mother leave Ecuador and bring me and my sisters to the United States are disappearing for too many families today. I know the time has come to see Latinas like myself better represented in Congress, where we can have a say in the decisions that affect our families. We can do it by taking that strong leap of faith that is running for office and by electing people who will truly represent us. And when we come back, my conversation with Diane Guerrero, you're really going to enjoy this. She's just an amazing actor, activist, author, um, and I'm just really excited for you guys to hear everything she had to say. We'll be back. Julissa, there are so many smart home products that help you see and know what's going on in your home. But how do you know what's best for you and your family? Well, I have cats, and I will admit that I have a camera. I have two cameras. You have a cat cam? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Is that kind of... Do they ever stick their faces right in front of it and look directly at you? Like they're peering through your soul? No. Mm, that's too bad. I'm only going to get a cat if they do that. Cats don't do that. Honeywell Smart Home Security is a total awareness DIY security system because it's good to know who's home and who isn't or if there's a package sitting at your front door. And it's easy to set up, which means it won't kill the whole weekend. I've been doing a lot of because weekend killing. I need my weekend. Yeah, got it. Yeah. I, I just moved into a new place with Niall and we have been just all house stuff all the time. Staying up till midnight to like unpack glasses and stuff. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. This is an exciting story. Anyway, you won't need to wait for someone to come to your house and install it between some random five-hour window, which is so annoying. I'll give you that. And you won't be locked into any contract either. Smart Home Security is an all-in-one solution for your home. It captures video in crisp 1080p HD night and day. What is 1080p HD? I think it's fancy lingo for sharp. Okay. Like it's sharp. It's good. So it's not like fuzzy. So if somebody does try to come to your door, it's not like that. And Like Like if somebody was going to try to come steal my cat. Exactly. If someone's going to try to steal the cat's Nico and Poncho. Nico and Poncho? Yep. Yeah, okay. If they're going to try to steal Nico and Poncho, you're going to be able to see exactly. Good. You're going to be able to see the, the okay, face. Okay, I'm of the into person. this. I'm into this. <laughs> it senses sound and motion inside your home and sends a notification to your phone. Customize your system with the right accessories, and it can even play sounds like a dog barking if it detects someone outside the home. I want to hear that really badly because I want to know. I want to know if this is a scary dog, if this is like a chihuahua. I need details. It also has uh, Alexa built into it. That's pretty dope. That makes me excited because Very. I have um, multiple Alexas oh, in do? my home. Mm-hmm. Do you are they like Alexa one, Alexa two, or do you give them? No, it's like names? Alexa living room, Alexa oh. bedroom, and then I wake up and I'll tell Alexa turn the home on, and like all these lights come on. Do the Alexas ever get confused? Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. There's so many reasons the security system is great, but the biggest reason is that it can help protect what matters most, like your cats. Your way. So right now, go to HoneywellHome.com and enter promo code CROOKEDWORLD to get 20% off the camera base station store price. That's HoneywellHome.com. Enter CROOKEDWORLD. CROOKEDWORLD. Diane, you've been posting these videos every week since mid-August to highlight issues that are important to you and uh, why people should vote. And in one of the videos, um, I was giggling a little bit because I was like, I feel the exact same way when when you said, if you don't vote, then I don't, I don't know what the hell you're doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I love that because I, I have the same sentiment. So why do you think that people, and specifically Latinos, aren't voting? 
Well, I mean, it's a number of things. I, in my opinion, I think. Well, there. One is that you know I feel like because we haven't seen representation in the past in our government, that you know it's it's hard to relate to anyone. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, any candidates that have actually run rarely speak to Latinos, right? And and the, I, I was actually hearing a little clip of your uh, of your podcast the other day, and it said that because people think that Latinos only care about immigration issues, right. which is simply not true. Obviously, immigration is a big deal because a lot of us come from mixed status families, and obviously we don't want to be separated from our families. So yes, immigration is a big issue, but we care about education, we care about healthcare. And we care about jobs. And these are the things that are missing in our communities. And so when these things are missing in, their communi- in our communities, we're not, I mean, it's hard to be motivated or it's hard to know that we are needed for the election process or that we're needed to participate civically. Um, right. I think another part of it is obviously fear because we, you know, we grew up thinking that if we even disturb the peace even a little bit by even using mm-hmm. our voices, that that's going to reflect negatively on maybe some of the members of our family who are undocumented or are afraid of having that attention come to us. And obviously, this is the message that we're, you know, you and I have been have been giving to a lot of our peers is that, listen, more than ever, do you need to participate because of your families, because of that fear that permeates our communities. Right. And then the other one I think would be apathy is just this idea that that we don't matter or that our you know if if we vote it it, it won't count anyway. Yeah. Um and so I, I think these are the main reasons. Yeah. It's um I was reading this article recently on the Dallas Morning News where they said that 60% of Latino registered voters nationwide and in each of Texas, Florida and California report not being contacted. So 60% of those Latino registered voters are not even being contacted by different campaigns. And so I I agree with you that some of the reasons why we're not voting have to do with us and like our community and, and, and also like culturally how we grew up and, and, and being told like, it's better to be quiet than to like be loud. Um, But then I also look at these types of uh, reporting and I think, well, it's not just our fault, right? Like people also are Mm -hmm. not reaching out to us. Right. And then when right. they reach out if, to us, it's a bunch had, of pandering sometimes. Right, right. And what if we had more? Well, and that's how we felt. We felt like we're not being spoken to. We're not being represented. And what happens when you don't have people who look like you running for office? Yeah. You know, that's that's a huge problem. And I think that, like, right now, what we have is a little motivation right now that some candidates obviously are running, that are running, are actually speaking to us. We obviously need more of this. Yeah. And so these videos that you've been that you've been doing are, are part of your partnership with uh, Mi Familia Vota. And I'm sure that you're uh-huh. asked to join a million initiatives. I know I've bugged you for some. Um, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why was this partnership with Mi Familia Vota particularly important to you? Well, I've worked with Mi Familia Vota since 2016. Um, and that's really when I came out with my story about being the daughter of undocumented parents and being left alone as a kid. And um, Mi Familia Vota really has been there for me since the very beginning and has taught me many things, along with some of the other organizations that I've worked with. But Mi Familia in particular struck a chord with me because of of their mission to 
to attract uh, the Latino community to voting, which is mm-hmm. something that obviously is so important and was something that is really, really lacking in our community. So I felt like that, like that for me was something that I could speak on just because I also came from a, you know, I was at a place where I really didn't participate in politics and I didn't participate in the voting process because I thought, who cares about my vote? Or I really just simply wasn't educated on, you know, the the, the, the civic the civic process. And so, mm-hmm. Mi Familia Votar has really been there um, uh, to, to, it has been, been very influential to me in that way. And, um, and they've always just been a great partner to me. Yeah. You mentioned 2016 as uh, being the year that you got involved. And I think that that year, 2016, November 2016, probably marks the the time when a lot of people got excited yeah. and uh, angry and uh, felt like they needed to do something about it. Oh, yeah. So what how, how did the 2016 presidential election catapult you into the role that you have now as an activist? Well, that was the moment, obviously. I mean, I, in 2016, I decided to get involved because I saw something that was going very, very wrong in our country. We began to see this man who is in office right now, who is in the highest seat mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah. office right now, can't, running his campaign in particular against the immigrant community. And something like a little, like little antennas sort of like rose up and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm. This person, it it wasn't like before where we ignored the immigration issue and we ignored immigrants and we ignored, you know, the the serious um, issues that we had with the immigration system in this country. It wasn't like that. This time I felt personally attacked. And it really does take something like that to make you get involved. And I think that it's only until we start thinking about all of every, uh, uh, everything that we need and are missing as not just you needing it and you missing it, but as everyone going through the same thing. And so I felt a personal responsibility to not only speak about my own personal story uh, in relation to immigration in this country, um, but also try and fight this evil that I saw looming over our country. You know, we had just come come off of, of, of President Obama, which obviously people sort of said, oh, we had a, a black president. Our, our problems are solved. This country isn't mm-hmm. racist. This country, right. you know, is moving forward. But obviously, simply, that wasn't true. Why? Because we still weren't participating um, civically. And yeah. I think that that's something clicked for me. And I said I had I had to get involved. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about um, 2016 and 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 specifically the day that that Donald Trump got elected, I was so excited to vote because it was the first time in my life that I was eligible to vote in a presidential uh-huh. election because I had been undocumented for so long and and I was finally a citizen. And I was so excited that I was gonna I, that my I, I thought about it as my vote is going to help make history. But I was thinking like a different kind of history, you know? Like I was like, yeah. oh my God, like how amazing it is that the day that I can vote, I'm going to get to vote and vote in the first female president of the United States. And then of course, 
we saw what happened. And yeah. Um, but but similar to you, I just felt like this is personal, right? This is so so personal to me. Um, totally. And and it was that moment too where people actually really didn't believe. They didn't believe that something like this could happen, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everyone sure probably got, you know, the day of voting, like went to the voting thing, you know, to the voting house or what do you call it? I, I sound so ignorant. To the, the, uh, the ballot. Polls. They went to the polls. Yeah, the polls. Yeah. They, they went to they the went polls to, the, to cast their ballot. Right. <laughs> yeah, they went, they went real leisurely, you know, like, oh, this is definitely, you know, this is definitely going to, there's no way America is going to vote in this man who has actually absolutely no experience And not only that, is like not even a human being. Right. <laughs> so right. Do they want to call I me mean, an alien? I don't think so. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I was like, I, I feel like a lot of people just really kind of hung back. And, you know, maybe if like, you know, soccer practice run, ran late or, damn, you know mm -hmm. what? I had to go get that gross, get those groceries. Or maybe people didn't see how catastrophic this could possibly be and how and how it can get. I don't even think we've, we absolutely haven't seen the worst of it. And I think that's the message that that we're giving people now and what I'm trying to do with these videos and what we're trying to do with like every day posting facts on social media and going to these talks and doing these podcasts is because, listen, you think you've seen bad? It, I mean, we're... This this guy Kavanaugh, mm -hmm. that is a permanent seat, and, and and he, so so this is what we're dealing with. Like this isn't even the worst of it. Our our rights will be stripped away. Everything that we know and love is 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 going away. And so people really need to wake up and say, I have to be involved because I mean we saw we saw what lack of participation does. Right. To get to know we're good. Yeah, exactly. So, Diane, as you heard on the show, you know, we talked about immigration isn't the only issue that Latinos care about, but it's clearly a huge issue for many of us. And for you and me personally, it has been life defining. So what do you want people to know about the experience of mixed status families? And, and for those of you that don't know what a mixed status family is, that's when one person in your family or multiple people in your family are citizens or have legal status, and then other people in your family do not. Being in a mixed status family is difficult. Yes, there are some members of your family who are citizens and have all of those rights that that uh, that undocumented uh, family members would like. But it's it's a scary feeling to know that you can come home and your mom will be gone, or your brother will be gone, or get a call from your cousin and say, "Hey, your my uncle's gone." Those things are really scary. And so I have a message actually for people who are in mixed status families is that it's important for those who are in mixed status families that are citizens to participate now more than ever because you're being silent isn't protecting your family. Hmm. Being vocal and using your voice and your vote and your participation is key to keep your family together. And I guess for those who, who don't know what a mixed status family feels like, just think about mixed status. There's a haves and a have-nots, hmm. and a family shouldn't go through that. Hmm. I think that's where we'll leave it. Thank you, Diane. That was okay. um, that was so great. I'm so glad that you were able to join us, and you know, I think you're absolutely right. We need to show up for our families. We need to use our voice, and the loudest voice that we have is the voice that we yes. can use at the ballot box. Grace. 
Julissa. I, I don't want to do this outro because that marks the last episode in our special Cricket Conversation series, Defining Us. And I don't know what I'm going to do with so much free time now. I am going to continue to snack a lot. Which Julie says, I am for thankful doing. for that one thing. <laughs> you don't have to deal with me just like, I'm a snacker. I'm exactly. a snacker. Um, I as well am upset because it's been an awesome experience. Unbelievable. And the biggest takeaway is that we have unearthed so many more conversations that need to be had about Latino identity, about our culture, about our burgeoning demographic. And the feedback from you guys has been unbelievable. So we'll ask this of you, our dear listeners. Please tweet at us and tweet at Crooked Media to let us know what you thought of the project. And if you'd like to hear more, um, Julissa and I will definitely continue to be working together in the future. And we really want to bring you some more episodes episodes of this so please uh, tweet at us and let us know how much you liked it and uh, any thoughts and feedback for potential uh, future conversations yeah please do so and you should definitely go and uh, review conversations like wherever you listen to conversations leave us a review yeah we'd love that you should go subscribe Mm -hmm. to Cricket Conversations so Mm -hmm. that when we do this again yes you are the first to know it'll just go right to your phone or wherever you listen to your podcast Mm -hmm. I just want to say thank you to Grace for joining me in this amazing journey that's been the past four weeks. Thank and you, my beloved Julissa. I specifically want to give a shout out to Elisa and Mukta yes. on the Cricket Media team because they have been amazing partners. There's no way we could have done all of this without their support and their feedback and their research and to all the interns that worked on this. I mean, yes. it was like a whole a whole team. Yes, a and whole so team. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening, for tweeting at us, for your questions, for your suggestions. I am just so grateful for the Crooked Media family. Likewise, thank you. we absolutely love you guys. And uh, remember to vote. That's the biggest, the, the, probably the biggest takeaway. Please go register to vote please, and tell your friends. And, and we are very lucky to have a big Latino audience here listening to us. Latinos, please go vote. Our vote makes a huge difference. And also... Pick up a copy of someone like me. <laughs> just for good measure, guys. Just for good. Just it, for it, would, good it wouldn't be take an it, episode. Take of it with you. Us. Take it with you to go vote. Read it while you're waiting in line because there's going to be so many people waiting in line to vote. That's true. Because we're going to have the biggest turnout we've ever seen in midterm elections because people are going to go to votesaveamerica.com and get super excited about voting. I love it. This is the, the, the we are the secreting our future right here. Yes. Shout out to the secret. Uh, that can't be my son off for this podcast. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.